0: Hello, and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: If you've been around Oasis uh, for a, a few years, you'll know that in 2019 through to 2020, we started a series in the Book of John. Now, at this point, we're not now pressing play. Uh, to continue where we kind of stopped in March 2020. But rather, we're going to look at it through a lens of Jesus' invitation in John 10.10, where he says that he's come to bring life to you and to me, uh, whether we're in the room, whether we're online, whether we're watching at a different point, whether we know something of Jesus, when we think we know nothing of Jesus, that he's come in order that we could know life and life in full. And it's that that we want to look at, because as we continue in the book of John, what we're going to discover is John begins to paint a picture of what that life in full looks like.
0: This is a reading from John 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me.
1: I wonder, have you ever had a moment where you've watched something happen that was so remarkable, so unexpected, and that your only response was just to think to yourself, I cannot believe what I've just seen. Perhaps it was uh, a shocking twist in your favorite movie uh, or TV show. Perhaps Darth Vader's I am your father uh, moment in Star Wars. Um, Sorry for the spoiler there if you haven't got around seeing it yet. Um, Or maybe the reveal of H uh, in Line of Duty. Uh, maybe it was a sporting moment for me, um, the 2019 Cricket World Cup final. Uh, ben Stokes' dive, Jofra Archer's super over, England winning by the barest of all margins. Oh, I still get a little bit kind of goosebumps thinking about it. The story that John tells us that we've just heard so wonderfully read out for us by Ebba has the sense of that kind of a moment. In fact, Matthew and Mark, when they're telling the same story in their accounts of Jesus' life, describe it as so remarkable that wherever the gospel, wherever the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done is told, this story will be told. And it will be told in memory of Mary and her act of incredible and lavish devotion. Last week, Mike kicked off our new series, Life in Full. Uh, where we're going to be working our way through the second half of the Gospel of John, journeying with Jesus over the next few months as he approaches the cross and fleshing out what he means uh, in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he invites us to come to him to know and experience life in full. So what does life in full look like in this story? Well, I think it, it means a life where Jesus changes everything, where nothing is off limits, and where his extravagance leads to our response. And we're going to work our way through the story. So I'd encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you, have it open um, as we go along. And what you'll see is that right at the start of this chapter, John starts, as he often does, with a little time cue. He puts there right at the start, six days before the Passover. And that's a little nudge uh, that John is starting the clock on the countdown to the cross. That everything that we're going to be looking at as a community over the next couple of months takes place within just the space of a week. All of it leading up to Easter is what he's going to describe for us. This is the week. The week when everything changes. And so as we read this story and the ones that are to come, we're to read them and reread them and read them again in light of what we know is coming at the end of that week in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. So prick up your ears, John says, six days until Passover, the week when everything changes. Are we going to allow the events he's going to describe to us to change us too? So Jesus and the disciples have gathered in the village of Bethany to mark the incredible events of the last chapter, everything we heard last week, Lazarus raised from the dead. And as they relax together, Mary takes a pint of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet, anointing them with this rich, fragrant, incredibly costly oil. She lets down her hair potentially scandalous thing to do in that cultural context and wipes Jesus' feet with it. It's an intensely reverent, deeply personal, unbelievably humble act. But at the same time, it's also an incredibly powerful and authoritative prophetic statement. It speaks, in fact, to the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end See, with this act, Mary is bringing to fulfilment one of the great biblical themes. And she's declaring for all eternity, in a way that will be told whenever the story of the gospel is told, who Jesus is and what he came to do. And that theme is the theme of anointing. Anointing. And so, in fact, whenever in the Bible you see the words Messiah or Christ, In fact, we've heard some of them this morning already in the songs that we've been singing and the contributions that have been shared. What those words mean is simply the anointed one, either in Hebrew, Messiah, or uh, Greek, Christ. Someone who has been anointed, someone who's had oil or perfume poured on them as a symbolic gesture of their appointment to a particular office. Or for a particular role. And our Bibles kind of leave those words untranslated. So whenever you see the word Christ, it's just the Greek spelling, it's the English spelling of the Greek word. But it's meaning, what that word is doing is saying the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, the first two thirds of the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, two different types of people are anointed. First of all, kings are anointed. Kings are anointed to lead the nation, to serve communities on a horizontal level, person to person, governing the way we relate to one another. And the second type of people are priests, priests who are anointed to serve the people on a vertical level, God to humanity, representing the people before God. So on one level, um, Christ or Messiah is just a functional word to describe this act that's taken place. But at the same time, it's a word that gets loaded with more and more significance as the story unfolds. See, right from the start of the Bible, when everything goes wrong, when humanity chooses to go their own way rather than God's way, when sin and brokenness and death into the world there comes a promise from God that it won't always be that way that even in the moment of our fall God's promise was that one day he would send someone who would right every wrong someone who lived overflowing with life to the full someone who would be not just an anointed one but would be the anointed one the complete embodiment of holiness rather than sinfulness, wholeness rather than brokenness, life rather than death. The anointed one who is the complete embodiment of what it is to live perfectly, horizontally in relation to one another and vertically in relation to God. And the more the story goes on, the more our need for that person is revealed again and again, the more clear it becomes that nobody in the Old Testament, none of the many, many people who are anointed have been the one. None of them are the anointed one. None of them are the one that we've been waiting for, that we really need. At their best, they're pointers to what the true Messiah, the true Christ, will one day do. At their worst, kind of a stark reminder of our inability to save ourselves. And so when we come to Jesus, with all of this background resting in our minds, the question that we should be asking, the question the people originally around Jesus were asking is, is this one, is he the one? Is he the anointed one? Is he the one who was promised? See, it was said the Messiah would bring true abundance. Well, here's Jesus water into wine, loaves into fishes, multiplied. It said the Messiah will bring true wholeness. Here's Jesus, the sick healed, the poor comforted. It said the Messiah would bring true freedom. Here's Jesus declaring sins are forgiven and burdens are lifted. It was said the Messiah would bring true authority. Here's Jesus walking on the water, commanding storms to cease. It was said the Messiah would bring true life. Here's Jesus calling Lazarus out of the grave is he the one who was promised? Could Jesus be the anointed one, the one who will set everything to rights, restore all that's been broken, heal all that's been wounded, cleanse all that's been corrupted? And that's a question that we each need to wrestle with for ourselves. Whether you're here this morning, whether you're watching online, whether you're catching up later, whether you're just beginning to investigate who Jesus is or you've been following him for years, is Jesus the one? Because it's not a question that any of us can sit on the fence about. Either Jesus changes everything or he's completely irrelevant. And as Mary shows us, by her acts in this story. If our answer is yes, then everything changes for us, everything. But before we look at how we respond, if this is true, if Jesus is the one, the passage gives us an incredible picture of how not to respond. Because if we don't respond like Mary, we'll respond like Judas. He objects down in verse four. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Now, John's not going to let him get away with that. And so we get this kind of little narrator's note. Uh, John from the future looking back and kind of whispering to us, Psst, by the way, he didn't actually care about the poor. He was a thief. He was just in it for himself. But on the surface, his objection sounds kind of reasonable, doesn't it? A lavish expense on a bottle of perfume to pour on Jesus' feet. In a world where poverty was even more prevalent, even more visible than it is today, surely that's a gross misuse of resources. In a town called Bethany, which means house of the poor, Here's Mary, seemingly squandering that which could have been sold and given to the poor instead. In fact, uh, to help illustrate this, I've got a little chart of some of the most expensive liquids known to mankind and how much a pint of them would cost relative to the value of the perfume uh, that Mary uses. It's inspired by a little sketch by a comedian called Dave Gorman. Um, And so, first of all, uh, we have champagne. Okay so champagne if you were to buy a pint of Dom Perignon vintage 1995 it would set you back uh, in today's money 305 pounds 305 pounds Secondly uh, what we might think is a kind of modern equivalent so Chanel number no. 5 um, a pint of Chanel number no. 5 uh, would cost you 638 pounds Third Um, possibly what I think is the most expensive liquid uh, in the world, which is printer ink. Um, (laughs) A a pint of multicolored printer ink from Epson uh, would set you back an eye-watering £1,369. Mary's act of devotion? It's off the charts. In today's money, nearly £26 thousand pounds. It's an exorbitant amount. Surely this is too much. Surely it's a waste. But Jesus' response, leave her alone. Stop the rationalizing and the moralizing and the holier-than-thou tutting. Quit the kind of functionalism, the whataboutism, the sneering cynicism. Judas, you've missed the big picture, but Mary hasn't. You'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me. As a quick note, what Jesus is not saying there is, so forget about the poor. In fact, it's completely the opposite. He's quoting from a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, which starts with the first half of what he says and finishes by saying, "So, because the poor will always be present with you, be open-handed towards those in the community who are poor and needy. Always be ready to give to them. This is the reality of the world of poverty around you. Therefore, take every opportunity." to serve those in need. But do it with the right perspective because these events taking place around you this very week are going to be the action by which the whole world, including the world of poverty and everything that comes with it, is being put to rights. What Jesus has come to do, what he's already doing, is off the charts, and nothing, not even a pint of pure nard, can match up to the extravagance of the Son giving himself on the cross. That through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus is doing something which goes as far beyond our expectation, as Mary's response goes beyond the expectations of the disciples. What it means that Jesus is the anointed one is far more extravagant, far more remarkable than we've even begun to scratch the surface of. It means that true abundance, true wholeness, true freedom, true authority, true life in full is here. Now, the disciples haven't got it, but Mary has. In fact, this is a theme we get uh, again and again in the book of John. Uh, The men, supposedly the ones uh, in that culture with the knowledge and the education and the insight, are left baffled by what Jesus is doing. Well, it's the women who understand uh, and respond rightly, and radically in that culture are commended by Jesus for leading prophetically like Mary does here. Who we were given the authority to carry the news of his resurrection first to the world. And the contrast couldn't be more pronounced. Judas is greedy where Mary is generous. Judas is arrogant when Mary is humble. Judas stands aloof while Mary kneels in humble adoration. Judas is curved inwards, thinking only of himself. Mary is open-hearted, flourishing the closer she draws to Jesus. And the result is clear to see. Only one of the two is overflowing with life in full. It's Mary. It's Mary. And it's because Mary's life comes not from herself, but from the fact that, just like the perfume, she has been poured out to Jesus. That She has given herself to him fully. All of her for all of him. And in the economy of God's kingdom, the more you give away the more you realize that what you have in Christ is beyond anything you could imagine. Is it a waste? Not at all, not at all. In fact, nothing could be less wasteful than offering everything to Jesus. When Jesus says, follow me, as he does to each of us, what he's not asking us to do is a cost-benefit analysis Of the pros and cons. He's not asking us to bring up our schedules for the day and see where we might be able to slot him in like yet another Zoom meeting. He gives all of himself to us on the cross but the only right response is to give all of ourselves to him in return. Every way we are like Judas, inwardly curved, sin-sick, self-centred. Every way we've succumbed to the call of the culture around us to idolise money and power and possessions and individualism and pleasure above all else. Every way we've taken what's been given by a generous God and helped ourselves to it, neglecting the poor and failing to be image-bearers of a God who's always given. Every fractured relationship that we find within ourselves and between us and God and between us and others, all of it, Jesus carries to the cross and puts to death there in his lavish act of humble devotion to the Father. What it does when we get hold of that is it frees us. It frees us to live like Mary, knowing that Jesus really has changed everything and that no area of our lives can be spared. Nothing held back or off limits. If Jesus is the one, then our lives, just like Mary's, need to be radically reorientated away from ourselves. And centered on Jesus. And the challenge I want to leave us with today is this How am I allowing the wonder of who Jesus is to shape three areas my generosity, my security, and my identity? What we see in Mary's response is someone who has begun to allow Jesus to reshape the way that she lives with generosity, the way she treats her possessions, but also her time and her attitude towards others. In fact, we see that in the life of Martha, who appears very briefly in this story, serving the others. Mary's begin to allow him to reshape the way that she lives with security. No, she has nothing to prove. To anyone else, that her security is wholly and completely in him, whatever others might think of her acts of devotion. She's begun to reshape how she lives with identity, learning what it is to inhabit the calling he's given to her, to live as a child of God, to speak prophetically in a symbol that will endure for thousands of years. See, the honest truth is, if I was to put myself in that room, if I was to put myself in this story, too often, I'd be way more like Judas than like Mary. I can't escape the reality that too often, rather than being the one on my knees, pouring out everything to embrace the life in full that Jesus has for me, I'm the one in the corner, deflecting and making excuses and sealing off the parts of my life I just don't really want Jesus to see. I'm busy thinking up reasons not to give generously rather than seeing the opportunities to bless. I'm trying to find security in what I can achieve and what others think of me rather than resting in the one who's spoken a final word. I'm settling for less than the identity God has for me, holding back from giving myself completely to the one who's given everything in extravagant love for me. But the invitation we have today is to not go away like that. It's the invitation we've heard in worship about a God who has gone before us and who runs after us. It's right now, in this moment, to come to the anointed one, the one who was promised, who changes everything, to take hold of his invitation, true abundance, true wholeness, true freedom, true authority, true life in full. The band are going to come back up and lead us in a song to respond. And as we sing, our invitation in this moment is to respond like Mary at the feet of Jesus. It's to come with anything we're holding on to that is stopping us from embracing this life in full. There's a bunch of stuff in my own life that I know... I'm living with, a bunch of stuff that I know I'm bringing as I come to the feet of Jesus again, as I come and lay it down, recognize the magnitude, the extravagance, the wonder of what he's done. So why don't I pray? I might just invite us just to close our eyes wherever we are perhaps to hold our hands out as a way of just physically expressing with our bodies what we're saying with our hearts, which is, Jesus, I give it all to you. Lord, I pray in this moment, as we come like Mary, poured out, that you would meet with us. All of us, Lord, for all of you. Worship you, our Lord of unparalleled, unbridled, extravagant goodness. We can do nothing but offer all of us, all of us, in response.